genuine question now. Go ahead. When was the last time you experienced decent, not even like exceptional, just decent customer service? Oh, long time ago. I mean, there's no secret formula for it yet. What we do know is that most companies seem to be pretty bad at it. But not you, my friend, not you, listener. Oh, no. You can create an amazing customer service experience when you use the brand new service hub from HubSpot. Yep, this all-new service hub from HubSpot brings customer service and support together in one simple but powerful platform so you can deliver the best experience possible. And of course, it's powered by AI, not Al, AI, meaning your team can automate those tedious tickets from people who've clearly not read your frequently asked questions. Pain in the backside, aren't they? Oh, and by the way, organizations using HubSpot Service Hub are resolving tickets 13 times faster, helping them to close 42% more tickets per day. That means increasing retention by more than 80%. Thank you, people at HubSpot who, who did the maths on that one, because I wouldn't be able to. I love a bit of data. Did you also know, Al, that it consolidates your entire internal knowledge base into one place? So no matter who is working on support, they'll have the answers at their fingertips. I did know that because I wrote that for you. Well, there you have it. Stand out from the crowd and migrate to HubSpot Service Hub today. Visit HubSpot.com slash service and learn how this all-new solution can help you deliver for your customers. There's a will and a want and a joy in uh, standing up and trying. And when it starts to work like Perks does and actually help people, it feels amazing. Hello and welcome to the Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture podcast brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. My name is Leanne, I'm a business psychologist. My name is Al, I'm a business owner. And we are here to help you simplify the science of people, create amazing workplace cultures and celebrate our very first birthday. I've got one too. <laughs> one didn't work. Oh no, is it broken? <laughs> oh, Peanut's making an appearance there. Have a go. <laughs> uh, so, yes, we're 52 episodes. Oh, I got balloon. You did, bless you. <laughs> I'll be honest, the balloon looked a little bit bigger <laughs> in the packet than it did in real life. Why don't you hold it closer to the camera, then it looks bigger? That's a good idea. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> so it's our first birthday, 52 episodes. It's been it's been emotional, Leanne, hasn't it? It's been a, it's been a ride. <laughs> I think by episode six, we'd done about four hundred downloads in total. Mm-hmm. And now, are we on for a hundred thousand downloads in total? By the end of the month, yeah. By the end of the month, so um, that's just in one short year. And thank you so much for listening. If you're watching this on YouTube, thank you for being one of the very first people to watch it on YouTube. As we've said all along, we are. Well, we only just started this four weeks ago and we get excited every time we get one new view we get excited so if that's you and you've watched it then thank you very much you'll be a source of excitement later on yes you will do you think we should spend i guess we should explain what we're going to do this episode and then maybe should we start by kind of a little a little history of the podcast yeah yeah so the this episode we decided we would just look back on the last 52 episodes and pick out some of our favorite quotes and clips from some of our guests if you're watching on youtube we don't always have all of the videos of the guests because we only started the video youtube so we'll do our best to, to entertain you during those clips we don't have the uh, the video for but um it's been a tough job because there's so many clips that we just wanted to we wanted to include everyone yeah, it was a really, really difficult choice to the point where I ended up going back a little bit further because I figured, like, recent recent people, they'll know how much we love them. We would have picked them up recently. So I've kind of tried to dig back into the archives a little bit for mine. So instead of the news roundup, which um, we will pause again for this week, but don't worry, it's back soon. I promise, I promise, I promise. Um, so shall we just do the little history, potted history of the podcast, Lee? Yeah, I think so. One of the questions I often get asked the most is, why did you start the podcast, though? Why don't you answer that one, Al? Why did we? Uh, because you wanted to. <laughs> no, I we think I don't think I did. <laughs> we had a podcast, a travel podcast. We still have it, although it's a, it's a little bit on pause at the moment because this takes a lot of our time. But we had a travel podcast, got up to about 150 episodes, uh, started to get some real traction, and we couldn't believe that people were actually reaching out and saying, hello, we listened to your podcast. 
Um, and we got really comfortable with the medium we've been doing for about three years. So we got really comfortable with it. And so when Leanne and I were talking, we're like, okay, right, we're starting the business, the consultancy, our blog, and we we're like, can we do, should we do blogging? Should we do advertising? Should we do YouTube videos? And we both said, hang on, we're really good at podcasting. Well, we think we're really good at podcasting. You be the judge. Um, and, um, and that's how it started, isn't it? It is how it started, yeah. So then, so this would have been... I think we actually recorded maybe July last year, but released in August. Mm-hmm. Um, and then October came. Well, actually, before that, it was over the summer, so we probably had maybe three or four episodes down. And then you saw the HubSpot thing. Yeah, so HubSpot were offering... Uh, basically, they got this creator program where if you were a nascent, or not even necessarily nascent podcaster, just established podcaster, you could join or you could apply to join and they'll give you some investment um, in return for some advertising. Um, which obviously if you've listened to any of the podcasts, you'll know that we do a little bit of advertising for HubSpot. Um, And so I just, one night, didn't tell Leanne, one night just applied for it, filled in the application form, thought nothing's going to happen. And then then we got through to round one, didn't we? (laughs) Which you were a bit shocked about because you were like, what the (laughs) hell is this? I I didn't really understand. I remember we were in Split and you're kind of like, we've got this interview with HubSpot tonight. And I was like, what's it for again? Like, oh, it's something to do the podcast. Like, they might they might sponsor us or we can join the network or something. Like, we'll just talk to them. I was like, okay. Very chilled. Didn't do any preparation, Marie, if you're listening. Sorry. She's our community manager, obviously. Didn't do any preparation. Showed up like, hey. Um, and then very quickly understood the scale of the opportunity <laughs> that we, uh, we had on the table. And at that point, it's almost like we were like, hey. And then all of a sudden, you and me were like, <laughs> polished <laughs> just moved our gin and tonic slightly out of uh, out of focus from the camera and i think it was maybe by christmas that we realized if we were going to make this work we needed to maybe level up our effort levels a little bit mm-hmm. um and so it just kind of feels like since christmas it's it's really been the focus of what we do it has probably takes us about combined about 30 to 40 hours a week to put these together because we're obviously interviewing, we're going through the transcripts, we're planning. Leanne tends to do most of the planning of the of the episodes because she reads through all the transcripts, pulls out clips, and then I do the editing, which is, again, about another 20 hours. Um, so it is a fair amount of work, but the feedback we're getting is great. And uh, if, you, if you're enjoying it, just let us know somehow. We're on Instagram, Truth Lies Work. We're on uh, LinkedIn, all over that MF. Um, there's email at the bottom of all the show notes. Just let us know. Let us know you're enjoying it because... It's odd. We, we're recording now in a um, in an apartment in Sicily, and and we're just you know it's a one way medium. It's weird. I'm looking at the back of my iPhone camera. You're doing the same. <clears throat> we don't get any feedback. In fact, I've just seen a mosquito as well, just flying around. So uh, uh, we may we may have to destroy that shortly. Anyway, so before we get onto the clips, do you fancy a little bubbly? I do. Did someone say bubbles? So we have this lovely bottle of champagne <laughs> from our lovely friends, uh, Andrew and Fanny over at Carbon Poditive, um, which uh, we were one of the very first people to sign up for. That means our, our podcast is completely carbon positive. Uh, fantastic place. So if you do have a podcast or you know someone who's got a podcast, go to carbonpoditive.com and uh, we'll put a link in the show notes. So yes, thank you to Andrew and Fanny. We love you guys. Thank you for supporting us so much over the past 12 months. Thank you for the champers. I'll lift that baby up a little bit so the good people can see it. Moe, very fancy. Much too fancy for us. I'd love to be able to pop this and make a really big noise, but our dog is a bit frightened of noises, so I'm just going to do a little bit of a... There we go. There we go. And because is that an espresso cup? <laughs> because we're an Airbnb, we don't have champagne flutes, so we've we thought let's be Sicilian and drink out of an espresso cup. So uh, there you go, Leanne. Oh, thank you, thank you very much, thank you, thank you. We're breaking the fourth wall here by uh, uh, by passing it to you, so now you can see exactly how our uh, studio is set up. So our tiny little <laughs> espresso cups of oh, I've just spilled it. Oh, no. <laughs> don't waste it. <laughs> So cheers, happy birthday. Cheers, happy birthday, Al. Thank you to everyone who has listened and downloaded this year. Thank you. 
<laughs> You're such an idiot. I was expecting you to come back with little party hats. I thought that's what you. I tried. I tried to find party hats, and none. There were none to be had. No. Um, I was. I was very pleased. I managed to get this little one balloon. Yeah. Um, which isn't very large. <laughs> um, but it's good. It's good. Anyway. <laughs> So, should we get on to the clips then? So, do you want to kick yeah. things off with your one of your first favourite clips? Yes. My first clip is from uh, the very first guest that we secured on Truth, Lies and Workplace Culture. And this was back in November when we were doing our The Truth About Twitter episodes. And we managed to get Dr. Candice Schaefer, who is not only a board-certified clinical psychologist, she was the former, what was the employee title, head of employee well-being, I think, at Twitter. Yeah. Um, so I was very excited to get Candice on the show. I felt very relieved to have another psychology person explain everything that was going on. I think I actually mentioned that on, on the episode as well. And I think for me, the Twitter episodes, I remember listening back to that. And it was actually the eve of my birthday. Do you remember? Yes. The 14th of November. Um, and you'd been editing until maybe like half past 10. And then we we sat outside because it was split and crazy. So it's still warm in November. It's delightful. Then we sat outside on our terrace and you played it back. And I was like, wow, we've been podcasting for four years. And this is the first time that I feel like a podcaster. Yeah. Well, let's go and listen to Dr. Candice Schaefer. You express that empathy to your your employees who may be suffering job losses just because you're letting them go doesn't mean you can't treat them like a human being and i think that's the biggest thing that i have noticed from not just layoffs with twitter but with a lot of different companies over the past couple of years is um you're really taking the human dignity out of it by treating all of these people like they're a number uh, or just you know a being that's works for you rather than an actual person who has a family um, or doesn't, you know, have enough savings left in, in, in their bank account to make sure that they're going to get through to whatever the next step is. Um, and so being considerate and being empathetic is really about giving your employees the benefit of the doubt that they will understand but you also work with them to make sure that they have enough time so that they can put everything that they need to do um, to get their life in order so that their world doesn't come crashing down completely. What I loved about Dr. DeCandice and the other guests as well that we had on that episode was really the headline was, it's not about a business having to make the decision to make redundancies, but how that that decision is executed can be done in a more empathetic and human way um so yeah i think it, it was just a nice i think it was a nice episode to kind of show that we can get different from people from different backgrounds different experiences to come together and bring their own perspectives to people and culture in still a very people-centered way and my first favorite clip is from Rob Kalavowski, who is incredible. He's got the Leadership Launchpad um, product. He's got the Leadership Launchpad podcast. And the episode he was in was How Not to Be an Asshole Boss. So in fact, because <laughs> he's Canadian, it was asshole. So here's Rob talking about being an asshole boss. Actually, one time when I was the polo coach, I was putting the guys through a really hard workout. And one of the guys on my team got up and got out of the pool during the swim set and went over to his bag. And I was walking down the pool deck and I was thinking of all the things I was gonna yell at him for. And then he pulled a diabetes needle out of his bag. He was gonna, he was diabetic and he needed an insulin shot. And that was like a screeching moment for me going, you know what, I'm an asshole, even though I'm not trying to be. And those moments, we've all have them, right? But does that mean that I'm doomed to this? Rob's an asshole forever and I cannot change and I cannot be? No, it just means that now I have to do the work on my mindset. What are the beliefs about me? How do I show up as a leader? Turn on the lights of self-awareness, turn on the lights of empathy and compassion. And now I can start to look at what behaviors do I make? that are impacting other people in these negative ways. 
So there was Rob. Rob recently did a TED Talk um, based around exactly this, so we'll leave a link to that in the show notes. Leah, you're next. So my next clip is from another, what I felt was a pivotal point in the history of the podcast. So this is going back to January of this year, January 2023, and it was our episodes on burnout. I could have picked clips, so many clips from these episodes. It was really, really hard to choose one. Kate, Will and Sally were just phenomenal guests. And I felt this was the first time that we started to maybe have a conversation that people were really, really engaging in, both in terms of our numbers on the podcast, but also in terms of our socials as well. I have picked this clip from Sally because we have quoted it a number of times on the podcast, I think maybe even once last week. So yeah, here's Sally talking about burnout and the role that organisations have to play in its prevention. It's one that really sort of um, makes me a little bit incensed because I really find it quite uh, cruel to some extent that there is this constant focus on the individual should be more resilient. We are offering the individual more meditation apps and yoga classes. And I say this as a qualified yoga and meditation teacher, that will not prevent burnout. I like to use the the metaphor of um, if we have, for example, a, a toxic lake and this the fish are all getting sick, we don't look at each individual fish and try to make it better and, 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 and heal it. We look at the water quality and we detoxify the water and we improve the quality of the lake so that the fish become healthy. And I think that's how we need to frame burnout as well, that if you have a healthy, high-functioning individual in a toxic environment, you know, eventually that chronic workplace stress will will wear them down and and it doesn't matter how many things they put into place necessarily when they're in that environment it's just a, it really is often just a matter of time before burnout occurs so that was sally from episode 20 and 21 um my i'm continuing the theme with burnout because episode 22 was called the untold heartbreak of male leaders it was with the incredible jim young it was very first episode where it was just me. So Leanne introduced us and it was just a conversation between me and Jim and it was just amazing. And you'll hear the quote in a second that just, for me, is one of the quotes of 2023. Yeah, there is an ocean of uncried male tears sitting out there because we're not supposed to do that. And you know, your, your original question, is there a difference between male and female burnout? Symptomatically, no, feels the same. How do we get into it? I think there are differences there. And that's one of them is as men, we're taught to hold all those emotions inside. And that is too much to bear. That's, we just can't, we can't be healthy uh, if we only have two emotions, happy and mad. There's an ocean of uncried male tears. What a quote. The whole episode was amazing. It was just such an honest conversation with someone who has burnt out he talked about lying on the carpet sobbing unable to stop we just sometimes us men don't hear that enough we hear the likes of dr jordan peterson grant cardone that weird guy over in um in romania i forget his name um who, who are just like men yeah we do this we don't do that it's just it's just nice to hear someone say do you know what sometimes you're just just inconsolably sad that's put a bit of a down on it, but I don't mean it to because you should definitely go back and listen to that episode, episode 23. It was a really awesome episode and I think actually remains our only linear interview we've ever featured on the podcast. I think what was really important about that episode is it raised a lot of issues that often are very difficult for men to raise in a way that isn't confrontational, seen as anti-feminist or distracting the conversation from something else that's very important and I think we you know we we came to the conclusion these things are not mutually exclusive you know mental health is a is a human issue and I think as well you know the way that Jim explains it and expresses himself and his experiences and that of other people he's worked with it breeds empathy and I think that is really the the key to all of this we followed up that episode a few weeks later with a sibling episode on women's health a guide for male leaders i have picked a clip from dr claire ashley um all of the women on that episode were phenomenal hannah and kelly incredible the reason that i've picked dr claire is that i think 
she has a similar approach to, to Jim in that she's able to explain things from a point of knowledge and empathy and honesty and raise a really important point in, in terms of the ongoing inequity that women experience, which can sometimes be muted in the social media conversations that are currently happening. So here is Dr. Claire Ashley discussing the gender health gap. When it comes to medical education, we, uh, you know, we're, we're very biased towards the male perspective, I think, traditionally. If you look at how scientific studies are conducted, largely, I think off the top of my head, it's about 80% of scientific trials are conducted on men and male bodies women are really largely excluded from the scientific process and of course when it comes to practicing medicine we have to be evidence-based but if we're basing our practice off of, of of you know trials that have been done purely on men and male bodies then we're missing data um to do with i hope a half you know half the population we went on to discuss in that episode how some examples, and I think the one that stands out for me was around the um, the crash test dummies and cars until very, very, very recently, like in the last six to 12 months, um, these tests have actually been done using crash dummies that are based on female anatomy. So I think it just goes to show that as much as it feels we've come so far, there is still inequities and gaps that we need to address so thank you very much to Dr. Claire and, of course, her other panellists, Hannah and Dr. Kelly, for helping us do that. So switching gears slightly, my next clip is from Dr. J.J. Peterson, who, if you've ever heard of a book called Story Brand, well, he's the co-author, the co-host of the, of the Associated Podcast, and just such a cool, cool guy. He was in the middle of a seminar, teaching a seminar in Vegas, I think, took an hour out to talk to me over, over Zoom, and uh, he's on the network as well, but I mean, they're super, superstars. So he was just so nice to go, yeah, I don't know who you are. Yeah, you probably only got a few hundred followers. At that time, we probably didn't have that many. <laughs> um, but he still said, yep, I'll take the time out to talk to you. One of the things that I love about this is if you are a leader, it's so difficult, or a business owner, it's so difficult to not make the story for everyone about you and about the business. He talks about turning it on his head and making them the hero of the story. If you're trying to communicate to your staff, mm -hmm. they are the hero of their own story. You are not the hero of their story. <laughs> so you don't need to tell your story to them. You actually need to tell their story to them. You need to invite them into the story that they get to be a hero. So you need to clearly communicate what it is that they want. You need to be able to articulate what problems they're experiencing, how you can help them overcome that. How you? What's the plan for them to do that? What are they supposed to do next? And then cast a vision for success and failure. That right there is a very high level of how you take, like if I'm saying to anybody, hey, we need to hit our fourth quarter goals or we're not going to be a $100 million company this year. Let, that's where a lot of leaders come in and say like, all right, guys, we need to get going because we need to hit $100 million and we're going to be a $100 million company. How at all, does that contribute to their survival and thriving? How what how does that overcome a problem for them? Have you given them a clear plan to do it? Have you cast a vision for what life is like if they do? Do they know what action they're supposed to take to get there? Or are you just going, rah, rah, everybody, we need to hit $100 million. We need to not position ourselves as the hero of our story. We need to position ourselves as the guide in the story. We are the guide and the people that we're speaking to are the hero. What does it look like to be the guide? A guide offers empathy to the hero's story. So offers empathy to say, um, I understand the problems you're experiencing, but also authority. I have the ability to help you overcome those problems. Okay, that's kind of how you position yourself as a guide. The only time you ever should talk about yourself is with empathy and authority. If you want to hear why he thinks that Hillary Clinton lost the election and that Donald Trump won it. Go back to episode 39, some fantastic stories in there. It really was an awesome episode, also featuring Orly, who brings a really interesting perspective on branding as well. Definitely check that out. Along with the thousands of other people that have, that is actually our number one episode over the last 12 months. Yeah, so thank you so much. So from one inspiring leader to another, my next clip 
comes from our very first founder story with the formidable Stella Smith from Perks. The more I learn about Stella, both in the media and from her team, the conversations I've had with members of her team, she is just the type of entrepreneur, the type of leader that I want in my life. And I think my my favorite thing about Stella is that she completely understands that we can be purpose-led, we can make the world a better place, we can prioritize the health and well-being of our employees, and we can still make money. Part of me in Perks has changed, I think, in the last three years, which is, you know, we get up in the morning and I'm looking at, you know, can I make this thing profitable so it's sustainable forever? You know, what, what's my gross margin? How long am I sales cycle? All the good stuff that you would do as a, a leader in a business that's growing. But at the same time, I've got, I think I can put doctors into areas in South Africa that have no uh, affordable health care for sub a pound this year. And I think I can make a difference on, and I think my team can make a difference to that statement. And it's very odd as a character with my background that's kind of, you know, fought my way up to then find yourself in a position where you actually think you can do something that's, you know, in real life, we have 13,000 customers that can access a doctor and a counsellor today, right now, this second, because perks exist. And that's a different driver. And I've never... Uh, you know, I've always hopefully done the right thing by people, but I've never had that. It would be remiss for us not to move forward with it. That that That's how I feel about it now. And I think that's a, that's an interesting place to sit as a human being. So my next clip is Stella again. <laughs> she had so much to say. She was such an interesting lady and she was just so down to earth and no ego about her. Um, and I think what I love about this clip is she's... She seems genuinely wondrous at the world and at people um, and how how cool people are. And actually, if you listen to the happiness episode from last week, then you'll know that actually the way that she, because she makes other people happy, she's happy herself. So here's Stella again. The, the biggest thing is, isn't it amazing what you can do with a collection of people? And I, I say this to my team. I was like, we created a noun. It's a noun. Um and you know what? It was seven people sitting on some laptops in their spare rooms or home offices for those that were lucky enough to have them. Um, and 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 Dan is part of that story. You know, how lucky are we to have, you know, I had Ash in my team who's in charge of our SEO sit down with the XMD of Google UK and Ireland to get SEO tips. Um, we've got a beautiful blend of people who know nothing but have the right attitude, willing to roll their sleeves up and some amazing experience, intellect, characters that surround Perks. And, you know, the more people that can attach themselves to our mission, there is, even if it's just saying Perks is cool, have a look at it so that somebody knows it's there. That's enough. I, I don't know. I'm every day bewildered and humbled by what's happened on our story. And I think um, if I could gift that little bit of magical feeling that we feel every morning, um, to every little business that's standing there trying in a backdrop of economic uncertainty and difficulty and strife and troubles and omni crises um i would give that little bit of magic which is there's a there's a will and a want and a joy in uh, standing up and trying and when it starts to work like perks does and you actually help people it feels amazing I love that so much there are not enough business leaders out there that prioritize being nice that prioritize kindness i also love as well the lessons we learned from stella in terms of engaging gen z which seems to be the the elusive generation allegedly we've talked a lot about generations on the podcast which brings me nicely to my next clip which was our generation panel episode again there are so many great clips here i really there's a big part of it i really wanted to showcase our gen z representative there izzy who is just a phenomenal young person and a psychology superstar in the making she is gonna make me she's just gonna i'll be privileged to even like have just had a conversation with her in 10 years time like i wouldn't be on her radar it's not trash they will because she's lovely but i i really wanted to include izzy but at the same time, I think my biggest, I guess, learning point and reflection point from that episode was Baby Boomers. 
and how perhaps they are misunderstood, how they are underappreciated, underrepresented, and really that we can still continue to learn a lot from this pioneering generation as our guest Carrie Cardinelli explains. Boomers have kind of become a generational scapegoat for everything that's going wrong on the planet. And, and that's not necessarily the case. You know, they, they were the largest generation in the United States, but they've now been eclipsed by millennials. But nonetheless, I do believe it was huge generation that emerged after World War II that broke a lot of molds as they went through each generation. So the boomers were in many ways pioneers that they took an era of great predictability coming out of the 1950s and the post-war when everyone just wanted things to be quiet and predictable and simple. So you saw the rise of suburban households and moms being at home and cookies after school. And there was this need for things to be consistent. And yet this generation of the boomers were became the hippies and the rock and rollers and playing with drugs and jumping out of those predictable career paths. And all along the way, finding a desire to do things different in, in a different way. And not everything was reckless that, you know, the boomers are known for, you know, making traveling interesting and passing seatbelt laws at the same time. They were really the generation that pioneered activism. They took sort of the activism of the 1920s, the women's right to vote and took it to another level of activism and as well as volunteerism, the creation of the Peace Corps, so it was a generation that continues to this day to be highly innovative, with more entrepreneurs, which I can speak a bit more about later when it comes to business, and, and some of the highest philanthropic giving coming from this generation. So I do think they're a bit misunderstood. And, and you know, as you had said, Claire, there was sort of a flattening of the generations, but then there was also this, okay, boomer, okay, millennial, there's still these levels of of not fully understanding the different generations. And, you know, my rule of thumb is that anyone who's 15 years older than you feels old. So, it, you know, we, we just generationally struggle sometimes to fully embrace someone who is 15 years younger or older than we are. And yet there's so much richness to learn. I think of all the episodes we're going to mention today, that is definitely one to check out if you haven't listened. Again, it's very different from other formats that we've done. We actually had Ashley and Carrie and Claire on the same call together and then we inserted Izzy afterwards. Time differences will explain on the episode. So it is more of a, a live discussion, which was really interesting and all, all four of them had incredible viewpoints. So yeah, definitely worth checking that out. So that was episode 35, the generational panel. On to episode 36, which is all about the four-day work week. So we had Joe O'Connor along with a couple of other amazing guests talking about the four-day work week. Joe is such an interesting guy because he's done it. He's kind of like a mixture between academic and entrepreneur in that he's very entrepreneurial thinking, but also he knows how to manage data, et cetera, et cetera. So let's go and hear from Joe. So it is a challenge and it does mean that if you're a law firm or a marketing agency or a accounting practice that bills by the hour, that is an additional complication that you need to deal with in order to make this work. But you can make it work and businesses in those sectors who, you know, bill by the hour have made it work. And the way that they've done it um, for the most part is either number one, they have found enough efficiencies in their non-billable time or in their non-billable overheads that they've been able to maintain the level of billable hours and the level of client time that they have at in and around the same level, or they have changed the way they bill. So they've either partly or wholly moved to fixed fee, value-based or project-based billing, and which has obviously meant that they're effectively decoupling the direct relationship between time and, and revenue. And often the solution might lie somewhere in between. We've seen uh, law firms and we've seen marketing agencies who have achieved this through some combination of those two things. What I really love was the whole lesson from Joe was even though he is, he and everyone else, Banks and Ferry on that podcast were really fanatical about the four-day work week, Joe was saying, look, just try it because it's not the silver bullet. Don't try, don't assume that you've got a bad workplace, change the four-day work week and everything's going to be fine. That's so refreshing to hear that. 
It really is. If you haven't heard of Joe O'Connor, he actually was the person who led the entire global study uh, pilot into the four-day work week. He truly is the thought leader in the space. What I really liked about it as well is it's kind of like a four-day work week will be a fad if we just go, let's try it, and that's the only change we make. What Joe is saying there is it's a full organizational, operational transformation that is required to make the four-day work week work. And I think that's true for so many other people and culture interventions as well. Without that, that being embraced by the organization and within embedded within its ways of working, it will just be a fad. Brilliant. So on truth and lies from very early on, Al and I always said we wanted to talk about things that were trending, things that were popular in the media and debunk some of the truth and lies or lies and truth um, or even prove it behind each one of these trends. I think quite quitting was maybe our very first one and that was actually the episode that got the attention of HubSpot. Thank you very much. Quiet quitting. Thank you, Gen Z, once again. Honestly, you're going to keep me in a job. I love you guys. <laughs> so, yeah, another another trend that we saw quite a lot um, of media attention over the past few months has been neurodiversity and specifically the increase in ADHD diagnoses. We brought you our Neurodiversity 101 episode just a few weeks ago. My guests that I have picked out from that panel, and again, all three were incredible and brought very different perspectives. If you are a parent, I'm sure you really valued what Jan had to say on that. And if you are an adult with ADHD, I'm sure Kristen was your and is now your new hero. For me, the hero was Dr. Nancy Doyle. I have followed Nancy's work for a number of years and her work, the work of genius within, it is game-changing and I'm so pleased to see both Nancy and the organization really starting to hit mainstream conversations now. What I love most about Nancy is she explains things so simply, so beautifully and in a way that we can all understand. We have this concept in neurodiversity of the spiky profile. So if you think about people's abilities, most people have an IQ of 100 and most people, if an IQ isn't one thing, it's made up of verbal skills, visual skills, how quickly you process information, how well your memory works and your attention. And so you've got these kind of different areas. And most people, when you plot their abilities on a, on a graph, um, all of the areas will be more or less 100. They'll be somewhere between 85 and 115. And 67% of the human population will score between 85 and 115 for all areas of IQ. And then you've got your neurodivergence. And what we will do is have some of our scores at 140, but then another thing will be sort of down at 75. So we've got these big spikes between our strengths and weaknesses. And what we've got into is the autistic spike, which is the people that are really, really good at fine detail processing. And we've kind of maxed out on that. But my neurodiversity strength, uh, the one that I have the highest IQ point, is visual-spatial reasoning. It's abstract reasoning, which makes me a good problem solver. I see gaps, I see risks, I see problems, and I see gaps way before anybody else does. And this is even true in my company. You know, I'm going, oh, it's a bit problematic. I'm a bit worried about that number there. I think that's going to be an issue. And then three months later, it turns into an issue and everyone goes, oh, why didn't we listen to Nancy three months ago? So that was episode 41, the Neurodiversity. So so many great guests on there. It's, it's funny when you look back at these, you go, oh, yeah, we had this person. Oh, yeah, they said this. And yeah, it is it, this phenomenal amount. We have like... At least 50 hours of content now, Leanne, of like audio content. That's that's insane, isn't it? I know. We need to look into some kind of like, I don't know, group or something. Because like you say, we have so much content that hasn't even been published on the podcast from our guests. So so yeah, maybe some bonus, bonus things coming your way soon. I am quickly interrupting this phenomenal podcast to recommend another phenomenal podcast. Nudge. We love Nudge, hosted by Phil Agnew, a true gent. It is, of course, brought to you by the HubSpot Podcast Network, the audio destination for business professionals. But that is not the only reason we're recommending it, is it, Al? No, it's not. No, we've recommended it to lots of people. In fact, if you look at any of our YouTube comments, it won't take you long, there's about 20 of them, <laughs> then you'll see that we recommend Phil uh, to anyone who likes our pod. Well, on Nudge, you're going to learn simple evidence-backed tips. It's going to help you kick bad habits, get a raise, and grow a business. 
Oh, and it's the UK's fastest growing business podcast. For now. For now, Phil, we're coming for you, buddy. <laughs> if you loved hearing Rory Sutherland from Ogilvy on our show back in episode 83, then Phil's latest episode has Rory on again talking about McDonald's, smoking, and why the pension system is broken. I suppose we should say that actually Rory's been on a couple of times on to nudge. It's not that uh, Phil's seen what we've done and gone, I'll have Rory. So I think it's important yeah, for no, us to Yeah, no, we say copied. That. We copied Phil. Anyway, listen to Nudge wherever you get your podcasts. So my next choice is Kevin Dahlstrom. He was such an interesting guy. Um, it's another founder story. He founded a company called Swell, which is a fintech. I think I've read that he's now sold it. He'd only run it for about sort of nine, 12 months and already sold it or merged it or something. He's done something with it, which is quite significant. One of the things, I, I met him on Twitter. Well, I didn't meet him as much as you meet people on Twitter. I saw him on Twitter, connected with him and said, look, get, you've got to get you on the, on the podcast. Um, around a story, which I, wo I won't spoil. It's in episode 44, if you want to go and uh, listen. But the one thing that I loved about what he said was this. That the way you do anything is the way you do everything is the, a famous quote from a, an American poet that I really like named Annie Dillard. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you, you know, I... There's lots of ways you can go with that quote. Sorry to kind of go on a tangent here, but but um, you know, even when it comes to hiring, when I interview people, I will often ask more questions about their personal life than their work history because of this idea that the way you do anything is the way you do everything. It's often more telling to understand how someone thinks about their personal life because we're not, you know, we don't become one person in our personal life and then a completely different person at work. It all works together. We are who we are. And so uh, I think there's a lot of ways. It's a That's a great pearl of wisdom. There's a lot of ways to apply it in business. So like he says, the way you do something is the way you do anything. I have been saying this for quite a while. What never clicked, though, was this idea that if you go and look at someone's interests on this, you know, they send their resume or CV in, you look at their interests and find out how they treat their interests and how the committed they are to their interests, that tells you a bit more about how, might, how they might be committed to work, which I thought was a really smart way of, of thinking. Yeah, I've really enjoyed our founder series and we have some really cool people coming up as well, so look out for those. We have mentioned our four-day work week 101. We have mentioned our neurodiversity 101. We had another 101 episode and that was equity, diversity and inclusion what a topic we touched on it very lightly and i'm sure you'll dive in again two incredible guests sonia thompson you know one of our most favorite people in the world and on the network brilliant show inclusion and marketing i haven't chosen sonia just because we we will be love sonia we're always we're always bigging up sonia i'm sure you listen to sonia's show as well i wanted to share a clip from katherine garrett our incredible expert and the author of conscious inclusion Again, I think Catherine just has a way of explaining things that make it so accessible, particularly for owner-led businesses. So there's a really important distinction here between positive discrimination and positive action. So positive discrimination is illegal. Don't do it. <laughs> so you can't hire somebody purely for a diversity characteristic, right? It's, it's unfair. It's not right. The person doesn't want that job anyway. You're not going to be setting them up for success. People are going to say horrible things about you when you got hired because you're diverse and all the rest of it. So, so don't do that. What positive action is, is saying, I recognise in my team or my department, we've got lots of people from this group. So we've got a high degree of over-representation. Actually, over the next kind of, you know, six to 12 months of, of hiring, we want to do more to attract more people from this demographic group. So it's all about before the recruitment process. So what that might look like is building relationships with local community groups or having a partnership with somebody who has a more diverse pool of people in their network than you do, you know, because that is something deliberate and intentional that they have built. And engaging with people from those populations to share more about your organizations and the kind of jobs that you have so that they look at your organization as somewhere that they would consider working because perhaps they haven't done before because perhaps what they've seen or heard or the perception that they have has been, I wouldn't be in your organization. So positive action is everything beforehand that says, 
we recognize we would like to build more inclusive teams we don't have much talent with these demographics but we absolutely want to do better can we come and spend time getting to know you and telling you about our organization and you know sharing what we do and see if it's something you would be interested in at the point when you then advertise the role, the role needs to be open to everybody. If you've done the positive action bit right, you're going to get much greater mix of applicants applying through your usual routes and through these new routes that you've been really deliberate about creating. And then everybody goes through the process of working out who, who may get the job or not. And where I've seen that work really well, it works really well um so positive action is okay right it's but it's not about i'm only going to interview women or i'm only going to interview black people or i'm only going to interview people with disabilities it's about everything before that that makes your organization and the jobs that you have more attractive to the people that you haven't previously been reaching so that was episode 45 edi 101 for leaders so I picked that clip on positive discrimination because Alan, I believe it or not, we do actually do some research into what people want to hear. Um, and one of the questions that we actually had was around EDI and exactly this, where is the line between uh, affirmative action and positive discrimination? Uh, so that's why I wanted to include that. If you do have questions as a listener, if there is a topic you want us to cover, get in touch. We will. So my last clip is from Oliver Yonchev, episode 38, I think. Yep, episode 38. Um, if you've not heard of Oliver, then you've definitely heard of his business partner, which is Stephen Bartlett, who's got a web, who's got a podcast called Diary of a CEO. He also co-runs the agency Flight Story with Oliver. Um, and Oliver was just so generous with his time, his thoughts, um, his stories. What I loved in this clip was he telling the story about Amazon. They fundamentally believe that teams work better in smaller cohorts where you have influence. So they have the pizza box rule where um, teams shouldn't should be able to share two pizzas, right? Once a team gets bigger than that, it becomes ineffective. So structurally, that changes how you think about hiring and depth of team and how companies interoperate and how teams work together when you have that kind of philosophy. The other is they ban PowerPoints. So they reverse engineer a report. So what do we want the outcome to be? Let's reverse engineer what the post project report and that's the business case you submit to get funding. So there's like philosophies that exist in an organization like Amazon that started very early, were very intentional and that's now shaped how and, and undoubtedly fueled a lot of their success. So I, I won't say they're a shining example of what we, uh, a typical example of great culture, but they're certainly very intentional and, and set systems around what they believe to be a high performing culture. So that's from episode 38. Uh, definitely well worth listening to. Such an engaging guy, such a great guest. Leah, what's your final choice? My final choice is Dr. Ryan Sherman, Chief Science Officer at Harrogate Assessment Systems. I couldn't quite believe my teeny tiny little psychology mind was blown when not only did Hogan Assessments engage on one of our LinkedIn posts because we did an episode with Sandy McKenzie way back when around uh, how not to be a psychopath as a leader, also a really great episode. I just didn't want to give Elon Musk any more airtime, to be honest. <laughs> um, but yeah, blow my mind that Hogan commented on our post. I remember texting Sandy, like completely freaking out about it. Could not then believe that Ryan agreed to be on the podcast blown away again when I think we were on I think we were on a call for about two hours and he has since featured in maybe three or four episodes on truth and lies he is so knowledgeable so kind so focused on building awesome workplace cultures that are fair free of discrimination yet are continuing to evolve with the demands of the workplace today Ryan I consider you a friend of the show one day I hope you'll be a friend of mine I am sharing this clip because for me I think it was one of the things that I enjoyed listening to the most and I especially enjoyed watching Al's face when he listened back yeah so we have data on uh, hundreds and hundreds of entrepreneurs um, gosh we're probably getting into thousands now of, of entrepreneurs who have taken our assessments at Hogan and so 
Um, there, there is actually a really clear profile that we see with entrepreneurs. It's just quite amazing. Like every time we collect a new entrepreneur sample, like I can just plot out what that profile is going to look like because they just all, it just always comes back the same. Um, and a few things that we see, one is that they tend to score really high on a scale that we call excitable and excitable is about sort of volatility, uh, being really feeling emotionally attached to, to lots of things and, and being willing to change and flex and, and, and having a lot of energy towards projects. That's what we see with a lot of entrepreneurs. Makes a lot of sense. They're really flexible about change. What they want to do is go, no, this isn't working. Get rid of it. Stop. Do something else. Change something new. So entrepreneurs are really good at disruption. Part of it's because of Excitable. They're also very high imaginative. They tend to be creative. They tend to think uh, in new ways. They tend to um, uh, score pretty high on ambition. Uh, they tend to score pretty high on what we call inquisitive, which is, again, is about creativity. So basically what we see with entrepreneurs is they see problems, right? They see a lot of problems. They want to fix those problems, right? And they're really committed to, to, to doing whatever it takes to fix those. And they are happy to break down the current systems, to, to blow everything up, to restart, to, to fix that particular problem. And that's what makes them so great at what they do is that they can say, okay, this is bad. Let's get rid of that. Let's change it. They can disrupt whatever's going on. The problem is when you start running a really successful business, right? If you're an entrepreneur, you started this business, it starts to grow. It starts to become successful because you did solve some problem that was really critical that people needed solved. All you're looking for is more problems to solve. And many times that's not what your business needs. Your business doesn't need more change. What it needs now is stability. It needs someone to sort of steady the ship, right? You've done all the disrupting and you've done all the changing and now it needs someone who can really fine tune and get it on that long-term progression. So Ryan first appeared in episode 26, Personality and Family Business. Um, and uh, then, as likely Ian says, he's popped up in multiple episodes just because he's always got something cool to say and something good and clever to say. Uh, if you are interested in Ryan, then go and check out his podcast, The Science of Personality. Um, he's just such a genuine, like, we, we've said this about all our guests, but he's so genuine and generous with his time and knowledge and is well worth a listen. He is, I think they've just released an episode called The Psychology of Patients this week. Which, interesting. Uh, yeah, very interesting. So, patients yeah. as in hospital people or as in... <laughs> no, the practice of patients. Right. Okay. One being patient. Got it. Yes. Oh, it's just such good memories, Al, isn't it? It's, uh, there are so many people that I, I wanted to feature. I guess special mentions would definitely go to uh, Rita and Bonnie and Paula from our Toxic Workplace episode, possibly our longest and most compre comprehensive episode ever, also one of our highest performing. And I think as well, just a big thank you to our friends from HubSpot and the people we've had on the show from across the network, uh, especially Ashley and Sarah. There are so many people and Sonia, of course. Thank you so much. Uh, yeah, we, we love being in your company. Okay, so we hope you've enjoyed that as much as we have. And I hope that it's going to bring back um, a few memories if you've listened to it. But more importantly, if, you've, if you do like what you hear, then check the show notes out because we will mention every clip. We'll number them. Well, I won't. Yeah, and we'll number them. And we'll also link to the uh, relevant episodes so you can listen to the whole thing. Always looking for feedback. So if you've got any thoughts, anyone who was your particular favorite, um, then uh, let us know on LinkedIn or Instagram or are we on TikTok? We are on the TikTok, yeah. We're actually a bit more active on the TikTok now as well. We've got a YouTube podcast, so um, go and check it out. Yeah, do you know what? We're actually getting quite a bit of traction on the talk. Yeah. More so than Instagram, just saying, Mark. Yeah, come on, Zuck. Get your ass in gear. Right, <laughs> we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye-bye.